0: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Reintroduction to the Bible. I'm Jesse Miller, and I'm glad that you have chosen to listen to this episode and take a little bit further of a journey into the Bible, into the biblical text. I'm glad that you're with us. I want to give you in this episode, just some opening thoughts of what this course, what these episodes are going to look like, how I'm taking this college course and bringing it to you in a podcast form. And then we're going to get into our subject for today. Why should I study the Bible? Why does it matter? So a few thoughts. The goal of this podcast is not to make you an expert. You're not going to be an expert of all things biblical by the end of this series. You are going to have familiarity with the Bible. That's the goal. So that you would have a familiarity with the shape of the Bible. How was it put together? I wanna also encourage you to think through its meaning and its impact in the world. Why does the Bible matter? That's one. That's the goal, That that is the goal for this podcast. Why does this Bible matter and what is the Bible? How should I understand it as I dive deeper into it on my own? So this is not gonna be a deep dive into your favorite book. If you want a uh, thorough look at the Greek and Hebrew of the book of, you know, Matthew or Malachi, it's not this podcast. But if you wanna kinda know where to begin, where do I start my journey? How do I rethink through things in the Bible? What perspective should I have as I engage with the text on my own? That's what we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks. I also want you to realize that I might have a very different theological perspective than you do. You might be coming into it with a worldview or a theological view that, I don't take and so I want to engage in this conversation with you with humility that we both realize that we don't know everything I grew up in a Christian home non-denominational Protestant Christian home and I went to a Christian school where I was taught the Bible from kindergarten until 12th grade. I thought I was going to be a director in Hollywood. Actually, I I wanted to be famous. I had these ideas for show business and I was ready to be the next M. Night Shyamalan and to make another sixth sense movie that kept people on their seat and confused them by the end of it. That's what I thought I was going to do until I realized right after I graduated high school, that God was actually calling me to something different. And I felt deeply convicted to go to Bible college. And then I went to Bible college and uh, at the age of 19, while I was in Bible college, I began to be a youth pastor and I've been in pastoral ministry for about 20 years now. And after getting my degrees, I went back and got a master's degree in biblical studies. And then I got a master's in divinity. Even with all those degrees, here's what I'm trying to say. I don't know everything about the Bible. With all my degrees, I will never exhaust spiritual insight. There are still things for me to learn about God, the way he's created humanity, what his Bible, his word actually says. I will always be on a journey to learn more, to know him more. And I want to encourage you that humility is beautiful in this process. We don't have to know everything. I'm going to give you perspectives. I'm going to give you my convictions. I might upset some people with this podcast, and that's okay, like you don't have to agree with me, but if I can help you to think about the Bible more, then I've done my job. Also this course um, is normally taught at a university level, and there's assignments that I have them do. My students have to read certain passages between each lesson. They have to take quizzes on those passages and write reflection papers on those passages and then do character studies throughout the semester and take finals and midterms. I'm not asking you to do any of that. I will invite you if you wanna journal your thoughts throughout the week to think through some bigger questions about how, does these, how do these verses shape me, shape the world around me? Um, what does this verse tell me to do? What does this verse stir inside of me? Where am I frustrated with these verses, I would encourage you to journal those things on your own. I'm not gonna grade anything, this is, this is free. Uh, you can get as much out of this as you want, but I would encourage you to, to think through the course, to think through each podcast on your own afterwards. So let's get into the meat of it for today. Why understand the Bible? I like this question. I always ask my students this question on day one of class. What's the most important thing about you? It's just wherever you are, think about that for a second. What is the most important thing about you? Maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm compassionate. I'm generous. I'm a mom. I'm a student. I am... You fill in the blanks. There's probably a thought that you're like, this is what makes me me. When I ask my students that, I usually get things like, I am loyal, I love my family, I care for whatever. And those are all good things, really good things. But there's this theologian who in 1978 wrote uh, a very different answer. A.W. Tozer in The Knowledge of the Holy, he wrote it like this. He said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base, as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God Himself, and the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that compose the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. So here's what he's saying, like questions like, who am I? Where did I come from? Does my life have meaning? What can I hope for? What should I fear? What's expected of me? What is right? What is good? What is important to me? All those things that we kind of evaluate evaluate as bigger meta questions, they all kind of trace their origin or their even their outcomes to our innermost thought about who God is. So, like, if I believe God is my creator, then that shapes who I think about my, what I think about myself. If I believe that God has things for me to do in his world, then that shapes what I think about the things that I do throughout my day. If I think God is angry and hostile, that's going to change how I live my life. If I think God doesn't exist, that's going to shape how I live my life. If, None of it matters if God doesn't care, if God is distant, if God is angry, if God is whatever. Maybe I'll do everything just to make me feel good, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? Everything in our life, we can kind of trace it back to a deep inner thought of our view of God. And so Tozer says, that's really the most important thing about you, because it will shape everything you do. Everything you subconsciously think or do is is shaped by that. Now, C.S. Lewis, great thinker, love his books. He had a different opinion on this. He says, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except in so far as it relates to how he thinks of us. Now, I, I agree with this thought. Like, I do agree that what I think of God, you know, honestly, doesn't change him. But what God thinks of me changes me. If God thinks good things of me, then he has good things planned for me. If God doesn't like me at all, then my end is definitely destruction, and it's not good for me because God doesn't like me. But here's the thing. C.S. Lewis is presupposing that God thinks of us. Like So he's already assuming God thinks of us. And... I need to know if God thinks of me or not. Like what I believe about God shapes how I live my life. So the most important thing about you is, do you even think God thinks of you? Do you even think God cares? Those are big questions. But how do we know what God thinks of us? Like if if, if Lewis is gonna ask that question about God thinking of us, how do we know what God thinks of us? And the answer to that, is, is kind of found in a bunch of things, like how we think of God is shaped by a bunch of things. Ultimately, as Christians, we believe that Scripture is the Word of God. He's revealed Himself in Scripture to us. He's revealed Himself first in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, that God became flesh and dwelt among us, but then He's also given us His Word, and, and if we believe that his word is from him, then that changes our opinions about God as well. So there's this thing though, that I want to talk about for a minute. Um, it's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral and some people will have a problem with this and, and I just want to kind of like state the case for this. I've heard people say that, you know, our church, we only teach the Bible and I only believe the Bible. And, and while that seems commendable and respectable, I'm all for sola scriptura, like the word of God is, is, is good. It's revealing God. Truthfully though, even how we read scripture is shaped by other things. There's other things that shape our view of God. And so in this thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, there's these four aspects that shape how we think of God. It shapes our view of faith, right? The first thing, of course, is Scripture. The Scripture itself, reading the words, like that's going to shape what we think. So if I read John 3.16, for God so loved the world, well, right there, I think that God loves the world, right? It's in the words. That's clear. No one's going to argue with me over that, right? Or at least no Orthodox Christian is going to argue with me over that. Part two of the quadrilateral is tradition. Our traditions shape how we think of God. Even if you didn't grow up in a high church or historic church, whatever you wanna call it, you grew up non-denominational, you still have a tradition. Your church has a tradition, a way of speaking about God, practices that you observe, Things that you do at Christmas time or Easter time, right? Uh, certain things that your family does around the holidays. Maybe you don't eat fish, right, during Lent, uh, or you, you do eat fish during Lent. I mean, you don't eat meat uh, except for fish. There's these little things that shape us. I growing up in the Pentecostal tradition is that's where I was origi- where I was from. Our tradition focused heavily on the gift of tongues and tongues was the sign of somebody believing God was real and present in their lives. Tongues were the sign that the spirit was flowing through them. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about right now. That's fine. We're going to maybe get there later on. But traditions. Uh, So my tradition had a heavy view of the Holy Spirit. And some traditions don't. So your tradition will shape what you think about God, whether you like it or not, it does. Three is reason. God made us thinking people. We don't just throw all logic out the window just because we're Christians. We we use our brains to understand the text. We use our brains to see the signs of God around us. We use our brains to and science to to think about God's universe and and who he is and and we reason about God through the scriptures. The doctrine of the Trinity is through reason. We read the scriptures and we realize that God Cannot be multiple gods with multiple personalities, uh, the biblical God, but he's also just more than one father and then Jesus is not God. We use reason to understand the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that more later on too. And then fourth is experience. My experience shapes what I believe about God. You know, I grew up, like I said, in Pentecostalism and I've seen God heal people. I've been healed. I've have friends who have been healed. I've experienced the movements of the spirit in different ways. And so I believe in those things. And some people haven't experienced those things. And so they don't believe in those things. Um, Your experience will shape what you believe to be true about God. God is not against experience. But God works with experience and we put our experience, we put our tradition, we put our reason under the scriptures. And the one thing I would add to the quadrilateral in all this is the movements and leadings of the spirit. The whole new Testament talks about the spirit leading us into all truth. And so these things work together to shape our view as Christians about who God is, right? we we did a, a survey in my, the city that i live in in scranton pennsylvania and we asked people on the street this is about a decade ago we took a little video camera and said hey who is god or who what do you think god looks like and Every person had a completely different answer. One person said he's a cool dude who hangs out in the sky and, you know, he's not, he's very kind to everybody. So as long as you're not murdering or doing hardcore drugs, those were his literal words. If you don't do those things, then God's fine with you. Another guy said, I kind of picture a guy like Macho Man Randy Savage. Another one just said he is the all knowing, all powerful being. Like there's all these different views of God, right? Uh, And we all have a starting point, or we all have developed ideas about the divine. We have assumptions about God and ourselves. And so I want to ask you, what's your assumptions? What do you assume about God? When you think of that, ask yourself, how did that assumption develop? Where did that come from? Some kind of experience? my childhood, some kind of teaching that I heard at a church, some angry guy on a street corner with a bullhorn yelling things at me. Where did I make these assumptions about God? So your view of God has been shaped by a lot of different things. But let's move beyond how your view has been shaped, but let's think about what's shaped the world that you live in. The world that you live in is shaped by the Bible. That's just stats. That's just fact. In 2015, the Pew Research Center put out a study where they realized that 31.2% of the world considers themselves Christians. The next closest is Muslim at 24.1%. And then after that, 16% unaffiliated, 15.1% Hindus, Buddhists at 69 folk religions 57 Jews come at 0.2% of the globe. billion people, the estimation is, are considered themselves Christians. And then the next closest is Muslims, at 1.8 billion. That's a lot of Christians on the the planet. The world that you live in has been shaped by the Bible. Uh, The Bible is the number one selling book of all time and still remains the number one selling book. Things in the world that you live in, in society, have been influenced by the Bible. Uh, Dr. Mangalwadi wrote a book called The Book That Shaped Your World, and he looks at how Western culture has been influenced by the Bible, and he compares that to his Eastern worldview, how Western society and Eastern society merge, and how that the change between the two is from the Bible's influence on our culture. So areas like morality, human rights, Law and order, right and wrong, he talks about in detail about how those things that we hold to be true essentially are biblical Christian ideas. The very idea of a human life having rights in itself, not what they can produce, not what they can do, not how much they earn, not how beautiful they are, but just in their own essence as a human, they have certain rights. That's a biblical idea law and order, right and wrong. A lot of the things that we assume as Americans stem from a biblical worldview, stuff that the Bible taught, it stems from that. And we live in the 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 ripple effect of that years later. Science, science has been impacted by the Bible. So think of guys like Sir Isaac Newton, right? Uh, huge mind in the scientific advancement, right? And he spent more time on theology than on science. He wrote about 1.3 million words on biblical subjects. Think about the arts, Mozart, right? Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, he wrote this, God is ever before my eyes. I realize his omnipotence and I fear his anger, but I also recognize his love, his compassion, and his tenderness toward his creatures. Johann Sebastian Bach, he wrote this, the aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. Musicians and scientists have been impacted and remain impacted by a biblical worldview. The advancement of literacy in our society, different innovations, different senses of mystery. There's a sense of wonder of our creation to the Christian mind. The Christian mind sees creation as God's world and wants to understand it more. So. There's the idea that science and faith are separate is completely false. It's a complete false narrative. Some people have embraced it and some people live it out. Some people think that science is not uh, connected to our Christian faith. The Christians think that. That's completely far from the truth science has been impacted by Christians who take biblical ideas and begin to explore God's universe and develop things that advance humanity, advance science, the arts, beauty, music. It's this idea that we see in the book of Genesis of God giving man some kind of responsibility to co-create with him, to name the animals. And then in, in, the earliest example of God's Spirit being on somebody is the artists and the musicians and the builders that we see in Genesis. The area of service, you know, healthcare industries, generosity, advocacy, these have all been impacted by early Christians, early followers of Jesus who want to care for the poor, the broken. It's throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the idea of caring for the hurting, the lost, those that society thinks can't add anything to us. They are viewed as expendable by other religions and other people groups. The Christian worldview says no, they are worthy of our help. We should care for them. It's distinctly Christian. So those things in our world, those things that we take for granted, our Christian ideas. The Bible, like I said, is by far the the most the best-selling book of all time. We do see that the Bible Society's attempt to calculate the number of books of Bibles printed between 1816 and 1975 is 2,458,000,000 Bibles. Almost two and a half billion Bibles have been printed just in that range that we kind of calculate that number to be. Another survey uh, for the years up to 1992 put it closer to six billion. So we're not really sure, but we do know that it's a lot. It's the best selling book of all time. The Bible is also the most shoplifted book in the world. The book that tells you don't steal has been the book that has been stolen the most. See, as I was talking about the Bible impacting the world around you, a lot of this you can find in detail in Dr. Mangalwadi's book, The Book That Shaped Your World. I encourage you to I put the link in the show notes. But your world has been shaped by the Bible. That's just true. What you live in, the things that you experience, even though our world tells us the Bible is something old or out of date or controlling or oppressive, the world you live in has been shaped by the Bible. And so you should know, what does the Bible actually say? What's actually there? See, we have a unique privilege today in this current time to study the Bible. We have a unique moment. See, originally the Bible was articulated from oral to written traditions. So it's gone just from something that you would hear read in synagogue or in the early church or when you'd come together to mass you could only hear it to now we have it written for us in ways that are accessible. We've moved from a sense of the church can just abuse the scripture or leaders can just abuse the scripture to manipulate or to twist, and that's, that's happened in church history. We've moved from abuse though to a, an era of accountability where anybody can read the Bible and keep the church and Christians accountable. We've moved from a place where it's exclusive only the richest of the rich, only the elite in society, only those who have can access the Bible. Now the Bible is so accessible. You can download it for free on your phone. You can download it in any version you want on your phone. Even in the most remote parts of the world, Bibles are being pushed out to every nation, every tribe. There's becoming access to the Bible. It's still limited in many parts of the world, but accessibility is not just for the rich anymore. It's gone from impersonal, something that's spoken over you to a large community. The whole church would gather and you would all hear as one to each one of us in our own time, in our own space. When we wake up early in the morning, if we're having trouble sleeping, we can just access the Bible. We live in this space. That is a unique privilege to understand what does this book say? How does it change my world? And does that, how does that impact me? I hope you would think through these questions. Like I said, I'll put the link to the book in the show notes, but I'm glad that you're on this journey with us. Next time we're going to get together and look a little bit more of why study the Bible and how do I begin to study the Bible? What are the first steps? What do I think about my studies? How do I prepare to look at scripture? That's what we're going to look at next time.